Hi guys, welcome back to the Earthy Delights podcast. Today we have a returning guest, a very special returning guest. We have the amazing Buddhist teacher, Kadam Adam Starr. We talk about the origins of love and hate. We question whether our thoughts are our own and should they define the way we see ourselves. And lastly, we ask Adam how to begin the journey toward inner peace so that we can better deal with anxiety, which I think we can all agree is top of most of our lists given these last couple of months. It was a real privilege to sit down with Adam, as it always is. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as Jim and I did and take something from his incredibly wise words. I think it will be hard not to. Without further ado, here is Kadam Adam Starr. Kadam Adam Starr, absolutely lovely to have you back on the podcast. Uh, How are you? What's the crack? Lovely to be back with you both, Jim and Seb. And uh, yeah, very well, thanks. How are you both? Good to hear. Good to hear. No, not too bad. Not too bad. We were saying before that um, that the uh, coronavirus has sprung up a few difficulties here and there. But you were saying actually it's maybe even kind of helped you in a weird roundabout way with the new centre that you've got going on there. Yeah, we've got this new centre we're building in Temple Oak Village in Dublin, and it's given us an opportunity to focus on that project a little bit um, because obviously things changing a bit. Uh, so. Beautiful stuff. See, silver lining to every cloud. There we go. Starting off on a nice positive note there. That's how we like to start these podcasts. Beautiful stuff. Jim, how are you doing? How's everything over there? Move over to Italy recently. All good? Yes. The the move to Italy has been successful. Uh, Still getting used to (laughs) a lot of different cultural norms, per se. Uh, A lot of difference in terms of my 20 minutes being different to uh, the average Italian 20 minutes. these things but uh it's mean, been do you mean 50 minutes there that's the average italian 20 yeah. minutes i think actually yeah i, I today <laughs> was today was my error in assuming that 20 minutes was roughly my 20 minutes but no not at all um but no yeah it's 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 been challenging but uh it's thoroughly enjoyable uh, i'm happy to be here and happy to be with, with uh, you and adam um th- the first thing the first topic, I guess, I would love to hear your thoughts on, Adam, is the idea of love and the idea that love, the, obviously there's a famous uh, Whitney Houston song that gets at the idea of the greatest love of all being within. But I'm sure you, you've heard a lot of people and I hear a lot of people as well that they, they are searching for like an external love, you know, with a partner, with a boyfriend, girlfriend, with a wife or something and or with, with family and they really appreciate this love, but I, from the, the 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 Buddhist teachers I've heard speak about it, um, the idea that actually the the most profound love you can be cultivated within, and I would just love to hear your thoughts on this, particularly during the coronavirus times when people probably can't meet the people they love or can't uh, meet people who they potentially can fall in love with. Uh, this could be a, a, a real nice time for people to think about, oh, well, maybe maybe there's there's love within here that I'm not um, really not looking at. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, from a Buddhist point of view, and I say point of view, but I would say more like from centuries of Buddhist experience of meditation and training these methods, the kind of conclusion, the kind of conclusive point that Buddha taught over two and a half thousand year, years ago is that love is just a part of our essential human nature. A human nature, um, the truth about human nature is love simply reflects that truth of our nature. And that doesn't mean that we all have consistently loving minds or consistently compassionate minds, but 
we can discover for ourselves that love is an essential part of human nature and we can all connect to that deeper love that you're talking about Jim through meditation through contemplation through reflection and access that deeper experience of love within our heart and then we begin to understand what love really is and love is really a warm-hearted feeling of closeness and connection with others that just has this deep and abiding wish for them to be happy and although we often externalize that love when we feel love we're not it's not coming from the other person it's coming out from how we're viewing them how we're seeing them how we're relating to them so if you have a really good strong connection with somebody and you see the good qualities and the potential and the kindness in that person you will naturally feel a warmth and affection for that person which is the essence of a loving heart it's a warm heart and a feeling of love then what we do is we then externalize that we think in some way this person's radiating this loving feeling at me and then we get very attached to this idea that this person is making me feel this love mm-hmm. but actually you're feeling that love and dependence upon how you're seeing them mm-hmm. so the problem with that is when we start to externalize and say it's you you make me feel like this that's why we say you make me happy all the time <laughs> we get attached to this idea that in some way they have the power to make me feel this love and make me happy all the time and then we disempower ourselves from maintaining that love for them because we have this idea and expectation that's quite unrealistic that they should be able to make us feel that love all the time and then because they're just normal human beings who have their good days have their bad days they can't make us feel good all the time and then we have these problems in relationships however if we rely upon take refuge in that love for others our warm heart our feeling closest a wish for them to be happy we will find peace of mind and happiness in that experience all the time once we let go of the expectations that they should be making me happy so from that perspective love simply reflects again from a buddhist point of view and experience is it, it simply reflects the truth about human nature we all have a natural love within us that love can be cultivated because at the moment it's kind of obscured by these attachments and expectations of others that makes it kind of so so to speak pollute that loving feeling that loving heart so so we can all connect to that truth within us and then we can cultivate those qualities of the heart just simply by learning to really appreciate others appreciate their kindness their good qualities the potential for good qualities as opposed to often our default orientation is we tend to focus after a while if people aren't giving us what we want we tend to then focus on their faults blaming them for how we feel and so forth because of that strong attachment to this idea people should be nice to me and so forth mm. so if we learn to let go of the fault finding in others it creates a space within our hearts within our minds begin to actually see more of the kindness and good qualities and potential for that in others and that's what causes that good heart to to uh, that warm heart to increase the more you see we know this anyway you know who are who are your friends those you perceive to be kind to you who are your enemies those you perceive are not kind to you so it's just working with a natural tendency within the mind is we will naturally feel warm close and connected with those that we feel in our heart are kind and then Buddha taught many ways to really open your heart to see the kindness of others and to see the potential in others and that increases increases this feeling of connection in your heart and warmth towards others and then you're starting to cultivate that potential for love and from a Buddhist point of view we have a limitless capacity within our hearts within our minds for love and what we experience as the limits of our love at the moment we think I'm not a very loving person sometimes I'm okay sometimes I'm not that just simply we what we think is the limit 
of how much how much love we can have in our heart for others is actually just reflecting the limitless capacity or potential within the mind for love for others. Mm-hmm. So in that way, Jim, that's how we understand love in that context. And also it liberates you from this painful torture of constantly expecting everybody to do what you want all the time, even when they simply can't. They're struggling with life as much as everyone else is. But if you take refuge and rely upon your love for them, your increasing warmth, affection and closeness and connection with them, then you'll always have a good relationship from your side, even if they don't with you from theirs. Adam, I wondered how how does that tally with compatibility? Um, and I mean that in, in two senses. So when we think of love, I think there's kind of um, we think of romantic love, and then we kind of think of the love of a of a friend or family member. Um, and it's kind of uh, I think when we when we think of family, it's almost this expected love, right? Or this is your uncle, this is your cousin, this is your dad, your brother, your sister, your mother. You should love these people. These are your family. And it's kind of this expected notion of love. And the more I experience, go through life, as even though I'm fairly, still fairly young, I, I've realized that the fact that you share some sort of DNA with me doesn't necessarily mean that actually me and you are good together in a very plutonic sense, obviously with my family members, but we're not, we don't bring the best out of each other. Um, and, and then we wondered how, so in that compatibility, in that sense, and then the other sense of with a, with a loved one, how does, how does the love within ourselves kind of, you know, if we have, imagine if you are a very loving person, why is it that with some people, we still kind of, we can't get over this hump or whatever it may be. Whereas with other people, it's almost like fireworks and it just kind of clicks from the very offset. Yeah. So, I mean, the compatibility thing, I mean, essentially, for again, if we check, again, I'm saying from a Buddhist point of view, but really the other way of asking is if you check, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because it's not it's not like some philosophical, dogmatic point of view. It just simply is if you check. Actual love is just this warm-hearted feeling of closeness that wishes for others to be happy. That yeah. feeling is it doesn't discriminate between family, partner, and otherwise. That feeling just simply is that warm-hearted feeling. And so for some people um, within their families, they never feel that deep love for the family and their friends. It feels some kind of obligation to be connected with them, but they don't feel yeah. that warmth and affection. And why is that? Well, one point of view we would say within a Buddhist understanding is they don't have the karma. There isn't that karmic connection. Um we could go into that, but that's <laughs> a deep area. But they don't have a strong karmic connection, which can be forged over time. Just kind of like a heartfelt connection with another person that comes through your continuous improving your love and your compassion and your connection and acceptance of others. That kind of connection starts to strengthen between you and another person. The more you cultivate that love, that compassion, that acceptance of them. However, in a lot of relationships, whether it's family, friends, or partner. Um, that compatibility just isn't there. And what we normally miss out on is that we can feel that same love for everyone without exception over time. But we start with our family and friends and improve that connection, that love, compassion and acceptance towards them. And then we start to strengthen that relationship in our hearts with them from our side, regardless of how they perceive or respond to us. So we can always choose to love. So love isn't something you find in lovable people. It's a choice. You choose to cultivate that love by choosing to let go, fixating on their faults, start to focus on the good qualities and kindness. And then you can strengthen that. And so that compatibility thing where we feel we're not compatible, that's 
kind of disempowering herself. We're saying, well, we're not compatible because we're not making the, the effort to really try to improve our love, our compassion and our acceptance of them. If we could do that from our side, they would feel more compatible for us. If you have a loving heart towards somebody, they appear lovable to you. If you have no love mm-hmm. in your heart towards somebody, they appear either nothing to you or maybe even an object of irritation to you. So yeah. So here's the key. We're disempowering ourselves by bringing in the compatibility understanding as if we're inherently incompatible. They may be, from their side, feel they have no compatibility with you because they're not working on letting go, fixating on faults or they kind of have high expectations of you that you never seem to be able to meet, or they're just not training in cultivating those qualities of love. So they may have, mm-hmm. from their side, feel they're not compatible with you, but we can always feel a connection, closeness, and good relationship with others if we choose to love, if we choose to improve that love in our heart. And then what happens is to move to the your question, Jim, on the, our, <laughs> on their romantic mm-hmm. uh, love. The romantic love thing is, again, an aspect of that is just because you're close to someone, you have some karmic connection with them. There's some good feelings there at the beginning. And you just have that warmth and affection for them and you love to be with them. Um, and as long as you're seeing their good qualities and their kindness, their potential, and not fixating on their faults or getting caught up in your self-centered expectations of them, then you create a space within that relationship for it to strengthen. However, what we normally do is what I was saying to Jim's question earlier on. Normally, we then project this feeling of love I'm having is coming from you. You're making me feel this. And then we get attached to this idea that they have the power to make us feel good. That is what we often call romantic love. And that romantic love, I'm not saying, well, I'll explain it first. That romantic love is often the end of your relationship because your attachment to this idea that that person should be making me happy all the time when they suffer, have problems just like you, is just simply an illusion it's not actually true yeah now now i'm not i'm not in any way suggesting that 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 means like we can't have deep and incredibly nourishing relationships if we choose to love that person consistently if we choose to have compassion for that person see the reality of their situation accept when they're not having good days if you have that love growing in your heart for that person you will be with that person if they wish to be with you till they, to the day you die because you, you don't have these unrealistic expectations. We don't break up with others because of their behavior. We break up with others because of our unrealistic expectation that they should behave perfectly mm. all the time when they can't. Because, again, we expect yeah. of others what we find it very hard to do ourselves, to be continuously peaceful, happy, loving, compassionate, kind, generous, um, and nor should we be heavy on ourselves. So what I'm saying, Seb, is the compatibility thing, whether it's in a family or just in a relationship, that's a choice we can take back the freedom to choose to improve that connection with them from our side. The romantic mm. idea of love, again, is coming because there is some strong connection there, but you will weaken that connection. You'll destroy that relationship if you keep putting the expectation on the other person to continue to make you feel this way as opposed to take back your own freedom to choose to love them, have compassion for them, accept them, then no problem at all. You know, you'll have mm-hmm. problems because we're human, <laughs> but, you know, we continually yeah. improve. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, maybe a year or so ago, I was doing some, like, reading around uh, maybe alternative views of viewing breakups because it's quite often when you hear a breakup, Maybe a family member will say something along the lines of, oh, don't worry, there's another fish, uh, there's a plenty of fish in the sea for you, you know, there'll be another person, whatever. And I remember reading it, the person saying, well, 
I think this is actually a flaw in how we're trying to console this person. But really, like you said, like we're kind of telling this person, no, don't worry, you can give this power away to somebody else. And instead of instead of looking outward, you can you can look inward and say, okay, this person made me feel this way, but this feeling came from me. And then the person talked about how instead of looking at heartbreak as in a literal breaking of a heart, you could kind of look at it like a break open, meaning, okay, I've realized that I had this love in me. Surely I can probably expand this love or at least cultivate this love that I saw that was in me. I experienced that was in me. You know, it's a, like you said, it's very liberating. Well, that's it. And I think that's where we take, you know, heartbreak, Jim, and we take these situations that normally devastate people, leave them quite discouraged, quite depressed, and completely undermine their self-esteem because they think I'm not lovable, that's why they left me, or uh, I'm not the kind of person anybody wants to be with. So we have this heartbreak that just ends in this very debilitating situation that then the next relationship, you're identified with that sense of low self-esteem, and you're thinking you're trying to be very cautious on the first few days so you don't mess this one up too. But you never mess anything up. Things just change and people change. However, as you're saying, Jim, you can use the same situation and, and really reflect deeply. I felt something in that relationship that I just didn't feel prior to that relationship. But what did you feel in that relationship? You were basically getting in touch with your own nature, the love that lies, this limitless capacity for love that lies within everyone. So that person, even though it was painful, the breakup was really difficult, you can also use that transition point in your life to say, I got in touch with something deeper within me. And instead of looking for more fish in the sea and then putting the expectation on the next person to give me the same feeling, why don't I just try cultivate this potential within my heart with all of the people that I meet? Because again, as I say, love isn't something you find in a lovable person. It's a choice you make in your heart. And within the Buddhist Mahayana tradition, which is the tradition that I train in with a tradition that's kind of really grounded in the principles of love and compassion. There's the understanding of universal love. So universal love is basically a love that you have for every single living being without exception, human, animal, and otherwise. It's a deep abiding love that you cultivate that potential within you. So you do start with family and friends. You've got to start there. Otherwise, it's inauthentic. It's very abstract. You're just saying you love everybody, but it's just really faking it as opposed to really trying to improve your love for the ones you're with. And as that love grows more in your heart, you just start to notice that you're, you're bet, you're, you feel more at peace being around people. You begin to like everyone a little bit more. So that's the key. A heartbreak in a relationship can open a door, as you say, Jim, into a whole new possibility is that was the best feeling I ever had. But I associated that feeling with that person and I put this huge expectation mm. on them to do it. It's probably why we break up mm. because I can't bear that they don't give me that every day. As opposed to, no, that person opened up within you this extraordinary potential that you have. And now if you cultivate that quality continuously towards all the people you interact with, you'll start to feel that for everyone. Then you won't be looking for the fish in the sea. You'll just know that everyone appears the same thing. <laughs> Over time, you know, over time, it's a training. It's yeah, a, it's a gradual process of evolution. Yeah, Adam, I'd like to throw a curveball in there, if I may. Um, sure. If we if we accept, which I'm not sure is readily accepted, but if we accept that hate would be the opposite to love, um, 
And, you know, in these last couple of years, it does feel as though every topic, I mean, literally every topic feels more and more partisan as we go on. Um, And I feel like there is more hate or at least dislike anyway um, in in the general society. does that so if we're saying that love stems from within as well are we trying to are we saying as well in the same breath that hate would also stem from within so when we see someone whether whether we can some you know there's some people who i find are deplorable characters and i might say i'm justified in my hatred although i'm sure everyone is argues the same thing are we saying that within actually there's something a block a cold part something that we haven't really worked on that is bringing out this hate towards a person an ideology uh, a, a way of living is is that what we're saying as well yeah you're absolutely right Seb. so love comes from within and so does hate hate is a tendency within our mind we could say um it's it's basically you know akin to anger so we would say anger hatred essentially the same thing and so it's a tendency everyone has within their mind. Some people have it more manifest than others. Some have people have it more manifest at certain times in their life than other times in their life. So we all have that tendency mm-hmm. and we largely don't give it much attention other than feeling the expression of it when we get really upset or frustrated or there's just somebody we just find irritating. So yeah. um That tendency does lie within the mind. However, it's not a fixed part of human nature. Hatred is not a fixed, essential part of human nature. Um, It's something that we, it's not part of human nature, it's just really part of human nurturing. We're continually nurturing that frustration, that anger, that upset, that eventually boils out as hatred or perceiving certain groups of people or a certain person as um, in some way hateful. So it is a tendency within the mind. So Buddha called these afflictions of the mind, the delusions, the basically distorted and disturbed states of mind that reflect this distorted version of reality. And then we buy into it as if it were true. So that's why, for example, you're having a really lovely, lovely evening with your partner, your friend sitting on the sofa watching a program. And then they want to flick it over to some other station and watch some really boring documentary. And you're like, really? Do we have to do this tonight? And so you go from this loving, relaxed mind to this kind of irritated mind. And if you allow that irritation to kind of intensify, you'll start to fixate on that person causing you this unpleasant feeling and start to think this is your fault. Then your mind locks in on this idea. They're inherently irritating. And then you get angry in some way you want to say something or just give them a look that upsets them. That anger arises within the mind due to our nurturing that irritation. And then we get locked in on this idea. Now, if you let that roll on, too much and you're continually fixating on their faults it will become resentment which is just simply when you don't forget the anger in your heart you just keep carrying it off continually probably repressing it now and again until it bubbles up so what i'm trying to explain seb is that the hatred is not an essential part of our mind it's just a familiar habit of the mind that most people don't really deal with or at least the potential for hatred in meditation you learn to really begin to explore that process i just explained And you begin to explore very deeply, where is all that anger, that frustration and that eventual hatred or resentment coming from? It's just coming from how I'm viewing things, how I'm viewing people and getting locked in on these ideas as if it in some way reflects the truth. But it doesn't. It reflects the projection of my mind that's irritated. Like when I'm angry, I never think for one moment they're appearing irritating to me. I never think that's due to the anger in my mind. And especially Mm -hmm. if it's your partner, because the next week when everything's going okay, you never think for a moment that they're appearing lovable to me due to the love in my mind. (laughs) And so there's no world outside your mind. Your mind (laughs) is projecting your reality. But every time it projects, 
we believe, no, it's them, it's them, they're inherently irritated. So I suppose what I'm saying, Seb, is we can let go of the tendencies for anger within the mind by getting to know your mind more deeply, getting to look at those tendencies and see through the deception of the mind. And once you do that, you can actually release your mind from the grip of that anger and start to rely upon the more natural qualities of the heart, like love. Because love is not, um, love is an essential part of who we are. And that love is, is often contracted or obscured by the anger, the hatred in our heart. So when you're not getting what you want, and in the world at the moment, a lot of people are not really getting what they want. We tend to get more and yeah. more frustrated. And then we get more and more frustrated with certain kind of people, like governments are putting us into lockdowns or people that are not um, holding the same view as us. We get very attached to our views. So if you don't have the same view of me, you're irritating me. And then if you irritate me, I'll get angry. And if I let that anger seed for too long, it will become resentment and hatred. And then you have racial division. You have um, lots of political division based on simply either you look different to me and I want everybody to look like me. Or you have yeah. a difficult, different political views to me and I want everyone to have the same view of me. Again, it's grasping at this very self-centered orientation thinking my view is supremely important as opposed to relax, let that go. Just because somebody looks different to you means nothing in the grand scheme of things. They have the same potential, the same good qualities, just like you. Just because somebody has a difficult political view from you, it doesn't make them inherently bad. You know, again, we have to be able to let go of this kind of grasping that my view is the only view that's really important. And that's where that hatred comes from, because if you grasp at it and they disagree with you, you'll get irritated, anger, resentment, hatred. I, I think this is a, a nice segue Adam, the the next idea of um, the idea that we are not our thoughts. So just for people listening listening, and they think, oh, I hear Adam say that at the core we are love. But actually sometimes I feel at the core I am just this like very anxious person or I am this um, quite sad person or I am this. Um, what would you – how – how can you help uh, somebody who, who who just really doesn't believe that at their core they are like, as I believe the Buddha said, like loving awareness? Yeah, and because it, uh, if I were to interject, I would say, oh, well, perhaps you're associating your thoughts with who you really are and these anxious thoughts are not you. But I'm sure you're much more skilled than me to... Um, <laughs> to explain this to someone who who doesn't who does not really believe that at the at any moment at my deepest core i am love yeah i mean it's a great question jim and i think that's where the challenge for a lot of people you put it perfectly at the beginning it's like so i i'm saying at the core love is a, an essential part of our human nature it just reflects the truth of who we really are and then of course somebody who's listening to this podcast who's really struggling with things at the moment and then feeling strong anxiety or maybe they've had strong anxiety their whole life or uh, like deep depression for the whole life they're like but that does not reflect reality that just simply reflects some philosophical theory that doesn't reflect my ever-present reality because at my core, as you say, Jim, I am anxiety or I am depression. That's me at the core. That's what I can relate to as actually being my essential nature. But actually all we're relating to at that time is what we're familiar with. We are identifying with what we're familiar with as if it in some way reflects who we truly are. As opposed to, you know, they're just familiar thoughts and feelings that because you're so familiar with them, because your mind is so full of that worrying thoughts and anxious feelings over and over again or 
ruminating thoughts and depressive feelings over and over again because you're so deeply familiar with that after a period of time like a whole lifetime of deep familiarity with that we just grasp at that as if it's really just me this is me and then we base our whole sense of identity around these very familiar thoughts and feelings of anxiety depression and so forth and then it's very hard when somebody says to you uh, but you're not that it's like well that's all i know so what Buddha explained is we're basically identifying with these thoughts and feelings, grasping at this sense of self, this ego-limited sense of self, being really just an idea arising independent from what you're familiar with, thoughts and feelings. We're grasping at that idea, largely unconscious, largely not aware of it, but it's playing out in our day every day, that I'm this anxious, overwhelmed person, and then grasping at that as if, if it's us. And then that establishes this egocentric view of the world. From the basis of that idea, I then relate to the world as if this is my reality, because I experience this anxiety and these feelings of overwhelm. When I meet anyone or any situation that might be even slightly challenging, my anxiety increases, and then I act from that to try and avoid those people who are going to increase my anxiety. I try to avoid any situation that's going to make me feel more overwhelmed. What most people don't realize is if you actually sit to meditate, you can actually completely drop beneath all of those anxious thoughts, feelings, those feelings of overwhelm and stress. You can drop beneath that, step out of all of that turbulence within the mind, all those turbulence, thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and actually access a place of stillness, a place of peace, a place of freedom. And what meditators discover is the more you sit in that space, one, you start to realize, as I'm sitting in that peaceful, calm, and still mind, there are no anxious thoughts and feelings. There is no feelings of overwhelm. So if I'm inherently anxious, how can I be spending five, ten minutes free of anxiety? Yeah. How's that possible? Because if you're inherently anxious, you have to be anxious all the time. That's what inherently means. By nature, you're anxious. And that's what people believe. Like you're saying, Jim, that's my core. It's not your core. And so what meditators experience is this stepping out of all those thoughts and feelings and this abiding in that place of freedom. And it's a training. It takes time. But eventually you can... You're sitting there five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, free of all of that. And then you suddenly get this insight that couldn't be who I really am. It's just what I'm familiar with, because in this space of freedom from anxiety, overwhelm, depression, I'm not that person. Like if you're not anxious, if you're not feeling anxiety, can you be an anxious person? How can you be if you're not feeling it? So, yeah. so that's what meditators discover. But Jim, like you're saying, there's a transition point. So there's one point is that you start to realize this is not my fixed identity. It's just these deep familiarities I've been stuck in for a while. But in that transition, then there's this kind of dawning insight that what is it then I'm feeling when I'm free of all of that? And you start to just feel this natural peace, this natural joy, this natural spaciousness, freedom within your mind, and these naturally good qualities more present within your mind. You know, like yourself, you all know this. When is you at your most loving? When you're at your most naturally loving, giving um, way of being. When are you at your most loving? It's usually when you're most relaxed. When are you at your least loving if you're not convinced on that? Usually when you're most stressed. Mm. So what Buddha discovered and what everyone can discover is when you quieten the mind, you relax the mind, you let go of all that turbulent thoughts, feelings and emotions, you access this place of stillness, this place of peace, and then you start to tune into that truth of your core, that truth of your nature. And that peace is just naturally present, that love is more naturally present. And you start to realize these are just natural qualities of the mind. I'm not having to generate them. I'm actually just abiding in them. 
that then opens the door to you begin to be able to explore these habits of mind that keep undermining you, such as your worrying thoughts that generate anxious feelings, or your ruminating thoughts that generate depressive feelings, or your feelings of overwhelm. And you start to explore what are the mental habit patterns that are keeping me locked into these, generating these thoughts and feelings. And then you realize with meditation, you can begin to gain insight into how to let them go. And then just more naturally live from a naturally peaceful, loving, resilient, more compassionate mind. Then you discover that's my core, that, and it's also reflecting my true potential. But you'll never believe that. Like, so that's why I'm saying the person who's listening to this on the podcast, they'll never believe that if somebody just tells them it. The only way you'll know that is if you experience it consistently. Mm-hmm. And that's why people get so stuck in believing this is the only way I can be because they largely don't meditate they don't get that stepping out of all of that and stepping into a calm clear peaceful mind so there's no real experience that you can't change your life by thoughts alone the only way you can change truly changing your heart is through your own direct experience i do i want when jim said that he wanted to talk to you about this idea of um we are not our thoughts uh maybe for once in my life i actually didn't have an opinion um and i so ever since i've been trying to reflect on it try to see where I kind of fall, which side of the fence I fall on, um, watching TED Talks and all the rest of it. And I still, there's still, I don't have a, a, an opinion one way or the other. The only reoccurring thought, I guess, which is kind of apt, I guess, if it's not mine, but anyway, <laughs> uh, that I keep on having is, it sounds very liberating, the idea of the we are not our thoughts, but in the same essence, to me, that's also uh, in some way, like very scary, almost to the point of petrifying. Because, you know, for example, if I talk about myself, I like to think of myself as I have certain principles and those principles keep me on in some way on the straight and narrow. And they allow me to be or at least I think allow me to act and consistently and behave in a certain way that allows me to be the best for myself. Now, I understand that those principles will have been learned somewhere along. I'm not saying that I was born with those, but the thought of that they're not mine and it's not... um, that they're just kind of these figments of imagination and that I can just kind of let those go. Then it means for me, it's a scary thought because then it's like, Oh, Oh, Oh no. Like what, how do I hold myself accountable now? Because if I'm not loyal, for example, which is one of my key principles, then what am I? Does that mean tomorrow I can just cheat on my girlfriend or I can, if Jim wants to have a really good conversation with me, I'm not a loyal friend. I'll, I'll just sack him off and go to the pint to go for a pub for a pint. All these things. And I kept on thinking, I was like, this is actually really kind of, it sounds liberating, but when I kept on thinking about it, it really kind of scared me to the point where I went, well, even if they're not my own thought, like, even if I'm not my thoughts, I kind of want to stay in the matrix and almost imagine that they are because I'm not sure I'm willing to accept the reality of what that means. If I truly accept that these principles, for example, aren't actually mine. What would you say to someone who has, who's kind of thinking that way? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really good point, Seb. And here, here's the key is, um, it's not that we don't have thoughts, feelings, and principles. It's just that we're not defined or limited by the present thoughts, feelings, or principles. So, so what, what, what essentially we, we can explore for ourselves and we can discover for ourselves that our temporary thoughts, feelings, and some idea of a principle arising within our mind doesn't reflect who we truly are. They're just temporary passing thoughts, feelings, and principles. Now, if those principles are guiding you in your life, Seth, it's quite possible mm-hmm. they're coming from a deeper place than just some kind of conceptual thought. It's something within you that's resonating, that's saying, this is the best way for me to be guided in my life. 
And it's quite possible right. that that principle of loyalty or love or whatever it is, that principle that you guide your life by is probably coming from that deeper place in your heart because you feel that that's the best way to live your life. So in some way, our principles, if those principles are like, you know, genuinely healthy and nourishing and break and moving your life in a good way. It's like an also almost mm. an immediate biofeedback mechanism. If it's not, you'll start to know. But if those principles yeah. are, then it's quite possibly you don't want to lose those because you think if you lose those, you lose everything that's good in your life. Mm. You don't want to lose those. And here's the good news that you can't lose those. Those principles like loyalty is really coming from some yeah. deeper sense of uh, empathy and connection with others that you want to kind of make sure that you're not riding roughshod over others. So those principles of loyalty, for example, is actually coming from that natural goodness within our heart. Um, or maybe, you know, there's some compassion there that understands if I'm continually riding roughshod over other people's feelings, that kind of makes their life a lot worse. So there's some compassion there that's given rise to you expressing it as loyalty right. or, or a concept. But actually, there's something deeper in you, I would suggest, that's resonating for you. Because if you've lived with those your whole life and you would hate to lose those, it's probably because you're knowing in your heart that that reflects something within you that's much more deeper and more meaningful than a lot of the random thoughts that run through our mind throughout the day. Right. The thing that we're not our thoughts is when we have thoughts, <laughs> they're never going to go away. We'll always have thoughts and feelings. <laughs> that's important to understand. It's where those thoughts and feelings are coming from that's important. So, for example, there was some research done in 2005. I think it was the National Science Foundation. And they, they did a, a research of the amount of thoughts that run through people's minds. And I think it was something between six to 12,000 thoughts people have running through their minds in a day. 95% of those are repetitive, apparently. And 80% of them are negative. So think about it. 95% of what we think about, and it does make sense, doesn't it, is repetitive. Yeah. You think about what you're thinking about yourself throughout the day. It's pretty repetitive. Uh, if you think about what those thoughts are, how many of those are genuinely inspiring and positive? Like when people look at themselves in the mirror, what do they see? And are, are, are yeah. the thoughts they're having about themselves when they look in the mirror repetitive? I'm too big. I'm too skinny. And are they positive? I'm too big. I'm too skinny. And I'm the worst person in the world. So. So what I'm saying is if you can understand that thoughts and feelings that are arising with your mind in any given moment don't define you, they're just temporary thoughts and feelings, then you'll understand that, especially if they're repetitive and negative, I can use meditation to just drop out of all of that temporarily, access that deeper truth within me, that natural peace, that natural good and goodness, and allow my thoughts and feelings to arise from there, from a place of deeper knowing of who I truly am and also a deeper sense of connection to what's real within me that enables me to improve my self-esteem. Like we're always trying to build our self-esteem on the basis of this deep identification with faults and limitations. So we try to boost ourselves by thinking we're a better person. Whereas what Buddha said is, you know, all these faults and limitations that you feel so deeply identified with and you feel you need to boost your self-esteem upon, those thoughts and feelings don't reflect you. So instead, we build our self-esteem on the basis of what's true in us and we, we allow our thoughts and feelings to come by that from that and as you say said they're often articulated as principles that then you guide your life by because you know there's something deeper within you that actually makes more sense than the continuous flow of repetitive negative or just meaningless thoughts that flow through our mind in any given day thank you for that that's a uh, you should have a TED talk yourself because I've spent hours trying to find that answer on YouTube and have uh, come up fruitless. So uh, thank you for that. That's why I'm starting to YouTube. <laughs>
we're, we're gonna get a petition to get get Adam Starr on TED Talk. Exactly. Um, no, Adam, what, what you're saying is uh, is is really resonate with me because even for like like you said with the meditation, so uh, I would have I I knew this. Uh, well, I I thought I knew this by by experience in that I am not my thought. And uh, about five or six months ago, I started a new job, which which I found quite stressful. And then I found myself getting very stressed in these things that are objectively, you know, not that important. And uh, it was only after like maybe six or eight weeks that I started to go, well, well, how strong is my practice? If I I can still meditate, I can still uh, appreciate that I am not these racing thoughts, these, uh, you know, sense, uh, this sense of anxiety. Uh, but yeah, I, I fall back into it on, on Monday morning or on, you know, Wednesday afternoon. And it was, it was, it was almost like very helpful for me to kind of then put myself in that situation where, okay, no, this is the test. This is for me to show, okay, I can be in very stressful scenarios or what people would describe as very stressful scenarios or how we, how the average person will feel, oh, okay, this is stress. I'm very stressed. Uh, and if you can be in those situations and still, like you say, kind of take the dip out and kind of just be an observer of sorts, just kind of, you know, sometimes I chuckle at it. Like sometimes, oh, like I, I know that this is this is not this is not me. Um, it, it was just it was really helpful for me. But then during uh, this time, I thought, oh, OK, I need to ask Adam about the the difference. Be- <laughs> I need to ask Adam about the difference between thoughts and feelings and that if most feeling because we talked about before um us having a, a, at the core being like a love calm peace but uh do a lot of our feelings are they generated by thoughts first or yeah i would love i would love for you to help us out with, with this the thoughts feelings question sure so so one of the the, the kind of beauties of what kind of Buddha explored like over two and a half thousand years ago. He was like this kind of like the supreme psychologist. You know, he, he taught these teachings that within our tradition, my teacher, who's Venerable Geshe Kelsang Gyatso Rinpoche, he's this extraordinary um, Tibetan Buddhist master now in his late 80s. But he um, kind of brought this lineage of what's called low-rig teachings. Um, it's basically a deep understanding of the mind. And so Buddha actually kind of went very deep on the mind and understanding your various conceptual thoughts and feelings and so forth so that you can use that as a roadmap to really begin to understand where these thoughts, feelings are coming from and how I can learn to shift from these really unhealthy patterns of mind to this much healthier way of more wisdom, more love, compassion, and seeing things and the feelings that arise from that. So our feelings, we within those kind of understandings, within those insights, what Buddha explained is uh, Feelings are just simply what we call an all-accompanying mental factor, which means basically you have feelings all the time. You're never separate from feelings. Some are good, some are bad, some are neutral. So you're never separate from feelings. Um, What the key is, is how you perceive the world, how you're viewing the situation at work is what's generating your feelings. So whether you're perceiving that in a kind of wiser way, a more compassionate way towards yourself and towards others will determine whether your feelings are disturbed or peaceful feelings. So those feelings will shift in dependence upon how you're viewing something, not in dependence upon the something itself. So you're having a tough day at work. Maybe your boss is putting a lot of pressure on you. I'm not saying that's happening, Jim. I don't know. But anybody's boss, let's just talk about a random stranger's boss. <laughs> yes. 
that the normal reaction in our mind is that boss is putting pressure on me, making me feel bad about myself, keep reminding me I'm not doing a great job. And we inevitably start to go inwards and identify with that as if this is me now, I'm kind of not very good, I'm not good enough. And independence upon that, it would generate a lot of turbulent emotions and feelings. And one of those feelings is anxiety. So anxiety really is just a feeling. It's not a thought. It's a feeling that arises in dependence upon worrying. Now, the worrying can be either very conceptual or it can just be some kind of existential worry where you're just feeling this sense of very separate from everyone and everything and feeling not great. And it generates this anxious feeling. And those anxious feelings are really just unpleasant feelings, basically, deeply unpleasant or maybe just mildly unpleasant. So independent upon how you're viewing the boss, that can change your whole day. You can go from feeling great in the morning, you're meditating, everything's going really well. That boss comes in and we think like the boss is kind of radiating stress and anxiety at us. But really all that's happening is they're triggering that potential within us to begin to see the situation in a bad way. And then those anxious feelings and stress feelings come up within our heart. And so when you understand that, you can just learn to just be at peace with the challenges of life. So, for example, if I'm really at peace with the imperfect nature of life, the imperfect nature of work, and the imperfect nature of my boss, which is really just the reality of things. If I can accept that reality, there's some peace within my mind. And even if they're challenging, I can work with that on much more flexible resilience. So what I'm saying, Jim, is these thoughts and feelings is how you're viewing it, how you're thinking about it is what's generating the various kind of feelings that we feel so stuck in. We're never stuck in them. We can change how we view it. We can change how we experience it. And then straight away, you change the whole dynamic in that relationship because you're now coming from a place of strength as opposed to feeling overwhelmed. But one of the challenges that that we have, um, I think at the beginning, Jim, especially for people who maybe on this podcast who started to meditate, we got to go much deeper than the meditation practices that a lot of people are learning where they're kind of maybe focusing on the breath or, you know, they're in some way kind of settling the mind. It's not just enough to experience a peaceful mind in meditation you've got to also extract the wisdom insight that that's revealing which is when i let go of all these turbulent thoughts feelings and emotions and i experience this naturally abiding peace what is that indicating well i've had to do nothing to generate it other than let go it indicates that that peace is natural to me that insight is the key because what often people do is they just meditate they feel better it's kind of like this balancing act you know i'm just going to balance my mind a little bit but actually, that's not what meditation is. Meditation is all about extracting insight from experience, not about theory, philosophy, separate from experience, but actually extracting the insight. When I let go of turbulent thoughts, feelings and emotions, there is a naturally abiding peace. There actually is a naturally abiding joy and there's a naturally abiding goodness within my heart. Why is that? Because those qualities are natural to the mind, because all I have to do is let go of these turbulent emotions and it's naturally present without any effort. Well, the effort of sitting to meditate, but, you know. I, I, heard, um, I heard Sam Harris say when he was asked about how often he meditates, he said, oh, sometimes I just meditate maybe 10 minutes a day. But really, the meditation is outside of, quote unquote, the set meditation. It's, it's when I'm driving yeah. the car. It's when I'm looking after yeah, my yeah. kids. It's when I'm in that situation where a lot of people describe as stressful. That's the meditation. <laughs> um, that's the key. And that's, that's the main. Often people think meditation is this. Thing where you just sit for however long you sit in the morning you meditate that's a fundamental part of the meditator's way of life but actually meditation is a 24 7 way of life it's like 
Meditation, the literal definition of meditation is the mind that's focused on a virtuous object that functions to make the mind peaceful and calm. What that literally means is, is you're holding some peaceful, positive state of mind like love or compassion or acceptance. You're holding that in your heart as you're either meditating deeply in the morning or as you're going about your day. And if you're holding that, say, genuine love that we looked at earlier or compassion or acceptance, if you're holding that experience in your heart throughout your day as you're interacting with your friends and family, then what you'll find is your mind just feels increasingly balanced, peaceful and calm. And so the idea that meditation is this thing where you close your eyes and you just turn away from the world is not actually the truth. You can be meditating on the go as you're going about your day, because if you're just holding some love in your heart for someone or compassion or empathy, your mind will be more peaceful and calm. And that really is the essence of meditating in a busy daily life that we all have. You can't be just doing it just on the cushion. It becomes a way of life, the meditator's way of life. Uh, Before we move on to the next, uh, the the final segue, Seb, did you have a final question about the idea of thoughts? Um, No, my key one was the principal ones, which um, Adam kind of answered perfectly there, so I'm I'm all good. Absolutely, perfect. Lovely, Adam. the The final thing that I, uh, the the final area that we really wanted to hear your thoughts on would be surrounding the like the kind of current slash oncoming recession and how a lot of people who are maybe in in university or just coming out of university or just in their mid twenties or mm-hmm. whatever, um, maybe they have been confronted with the possibility that what they thought their future could be in terms of this stable job or this uh, university where they got to meet all these new friends um, may not be happening. And I guess I think it would be really helpful for people listening who are experiencing this. Oh, I don't know what this, this, this future now, like maybe I have to change, but this was my, this is what I really wanted. And I guess maybe I could be wrong where it could be about cultivating what you said earlier about the more of a, of a letting go and that this future that you, that you really wanted was, was only that it was just the thought of a future but i wonder if you could maybe provide some kind words or some wise words for someone who is listening and they think ah like now i'm unemployed and this this wasn't how it was supposed to go or now i have to move back with my parents or now i won't be able to go to this uh, university and meet these people and yeah we'd love to hear some words on this yeah it's interesting jim that you bring that up because um it is something that's been on my mind a lot recently because I don't think there's enough attention given to the impact of this on, on somebody who's 19, 20, who's really at that kind of major transition point and in a sense the peak of their life where, say, when we were that age, we could, you know, just go out with our friends at the weekend and look forward to going to uni and look forward to all of those things that they just simply haven't been able to do. And I just, often when I'm walking around and I see, you know, I see sometimes people like criticizing young people, I think, put yourself in their shoes. My goodness, I couldn't even imagine what it would have been like if I had to deal with that. It must be so, actually quite traumatic, I think. Anyway, so it has been on my mind. And when we uh, went to first into lockdown here in Ireland, I did this kind of live stream with UCD, where, you know, University College Dublin, and uh, there was a lot of students who were just, you know, they were bringing that up. It was early on in it. And there were, was that kind of worry and fear about the future, you know, and what's going to happen, because, you know, they're kind of in the middle of their studies. And so I think there's a number of things. I think one one aspect is, I think it's 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 such a challenging situation, but in some way allowing ourselves 
to be at peace with the reality of the unfolding situation will at least help us all deal with this in a much better and healthier way. So, so let's say you're, you're, yeah, you know, first year in university or whatever it is, and you kind of have this plan for your future. Um, but that plan has been completely upended um, this last year. There's some aspect that we all need to get to come to grips with in life is that life is imperfect. Life is uncertain. It is imperfect. And problems and suffering are actually just a normal part of our day in life. Our um, resistance to that truth is what causes a lot of mental and emotional turbulence. Our resistance to our everyday experience of life, which is we do experience problems and suffering every day. Everyone does. We just seem to find it very hard to accept that. Um, so life is uncertain. It's imperfect. And if we could just open our heart to just fully and wholeheartedly saying yes, to the whole of life, not just a little part of it, and just accepting the reality, then there is some peace in your mind to begin to work with it in a better way. And often another aspect of this is we, we think about success, you know, like I have this idea of I'll go to university, or even if I'm not going to university, I just wanted to get on with my career, and, and now this has kind of been completely upended. And we're kind of have this grasping at this vision of when I get that job, or when I get that degree or that master's, when I get that accomplishment, I will actually have what I want. I will have what I want. I'll have a happy life. But what we don't realize is success doesn't lead to happiness. <laughs> External success is not is not the source of happiness. And so we can look at that just by looking at anybody, pick any celebrity or any famous person in the world or any politician who appears to be very successful on the outside and ask yourself, do they look to you to be profoundly at peace and happy? And if they do, it's not because of the success they're experiencing externally. It's because of something they're doing internally. It's something they're doing with their mind. So what you realize is that what we're striving for, this vision of success that we have that's now been upended, this attachment we have to that vision is really just attachment to a symbol of success. It doesn't necessarily reflect the experience of success. The experience of success is simply when you're happy. That's all anybody really wants. Buddha said we have two basic wishes to be happy all the time, and to be free from suffering and problems permanently. Mm. Now, if you feel that you're either in that experience to some degree, you feel a deep sense of happiness and freedom from suffering, you're either in it or you're accomplishing it more and more every day, you will feel for you your life is meaningful and successful because all we really want is to fulfill that deeper wish. But what we do is we project this happiness onto some vision of a big job or a degree and so forth, and we get very attached to that. And therefore, if it's upended, we think there's no way I'm ever going to be happy. But as I said, if you could just simply let yourself accept that to some degree, be at peace with that, you'd start to feel naturally happy. Because actually, the real source of happiness is just inner peace or peace of mind. And it's something everyone can explore themselves. If you have peace of mind, have you noticed you're always naturally happy without any external things around you? And if people aren't convinced on that, just ask yourself, have you ever had felt happy and have no peace of mind? Is it possible yeah. to be happy without peace of mind? So <laughs> so let's take it back to where you started with that, Jim. So people are worried about this at the moment. They feel like their whole life has been upended. Their vision of what they want to accomplish, what they want to achieve in the future has been upended. Because the whole attachment to that vision is if I get that, then I'll be happy. If I don't get that, I won't. But what if you could just accept the current situation and have some peace of mind? Then you'd naturally be happy anyway. So for you... Today was a success. 
if you have that peace of mind because you're able to accept this reality and work with it, you're already feeling like your life is getting better because you're feeling that natural happiness that comes from inner peace or peace of mind. So that's success beyond these symbols. These symbols won't make you feel like your life is meaningful and truly rewarding. Now, that's not to say that when you have that peace of mind and acceptance with this current situation that you wouldn't work towards those things. Of course you would. You need to have a good job. You need to have a career. We need to have goals and ambitions to move towards, especially if it encompasses a more compassionate view of the world and a wiser view of where we all can move forward. But it's not to say that you abandon any of that. You just understand, even if I had all of that, it wouldn't give me what I want. But if I have peace of mind by accepting this current situation, I have the basis for a happy life. And now I can do all these other things from that place of increasing peace and happiness. And then you really understand what real success is. It's what you feel in your heart, not what you have in your life. Mm. I'm so glad you brought that up, Adam, because... um... I think Jim and I, we first we first had an idea of what success meant in terms of the podcast, for example. And so when we would release certain episodes, we would see the numbers of listens and be like, oh, man, we thought that was a really good one. And then we're like, oh, we'd get bummed out because we didn't get as many listens as we'd hoped or whatever. And then we kind of did a bit. We would try to then we went through a bit of a stage where we tried to predict. So every now and again, we'd be like, oh, this is going to be the big one. Like This is the one. And then it wouldn't be. And then we just realized we were like, listen. If three people listen to this, but the conversation that Jim and I had, we've at least, at the very least, just Jim and I have learned from the conversation. And to us, then that's like a successful podcast. The fact that it gets three listeners or three million listeners is kind of, it's a bonus, but nothing more than that. And once I start kind of recognize that, and then I started to, to kind of evaluate who, I, like you said, who I deemed as successful, who I looked up as, as like, oh, that's the, that's the idea of success. That's what I should strive for. I was only ever doing it on the basis of what they had or what they had achieved. And obviously, I mean, some of those people might have been really happy in themselves. And then in that case, they would have been successful. But obviously, I don't know them on a personal basis to make that assumption. All I was seeing was, oh, whether it's oh, Joe Rogan, he's successful because he, he now got the Spotify deal for podcast. Or this guy's successful because they have a million pounds or whatever it was. And it's like, oh, I need to get to that. And then every time I, you you never even get close then it was like oh i'm a failure which then would just go into a whole different kind of vicious circle and um i think that that change of kind of that change of definition of what success is can really actually have such a, an incredible impact on you on a day-to-day basis because i didn't realize how meant how many things were linked to that idea or that notion that i had of a success on a daily basis and then once i changed that definition all of that came tumbling down it was like dominoes and then you could go from it from a completely different angle and i've like you said peace of mind now when we do a podcast like this when we have a conversation like this i once we i stop recording i have peace of mind when we release it, what happens will happen. If people kind of listen to it and they really connect, beautiful. But if only if no one does, then at least Jim and I did. Do you know what I mean? That's For me, that's the idea of success with the podcast in a very niche kind of setting and then in wider world to have that peace of mind. I'm so glad that you said that because my sister, for example, she's just started university now. And unfortunately, they told her all to go to – they told that whole year group, go to the university, it'll be fine. And then the minute they did – 
they said they closed it all down. They've locked them in basically. And they've said like, she hasn't even stepped foot on campus. She hasn't got to know her, her uni friends and this, that, and the other. And it's, you know, these are massive events that she was looking forward to for a whole year, two years working towards that, that one single event of freshers week and all the rest of it. Mm. And then it just got, I mean, it's just completely been you know, locked down. And, and she, I think she's dealt with it quite well, but she was talking about some of her friends and how they have these ideas and stuff. And, when you the peace of mind and the idea of success i think if people can incorporate that it really will make an an everlasting change i think i think you're you're absolutely right Seven. i think the the thing for those who are thinking again peace of mind in the middle of a pandemic you're insane <laughs> you know because that's yeah. what i would be thinking if i was 19 20 like i am racked with anxiety i am racked mm. with um feelings of low self-worth because you know, I wrapped everything around these various things that I'm going to achieve and, and so forth. So to those people, I would say this is very important to understand that that peace of mind that we're talking about, that inner peace that we're talking about, is not some unachievable uh, goal. Peace of mm-hmm. mind is simply the actual nature of our minds when we're free from the grip of turbulent emotion, thoughts, feelings such as anxiety. Peace of mind is always there. It's always available to you. If you learn to even just do a simple 10 to 15 minute breathing meditation a day, you will feel that letting go of the anxiety, the worry about this current situation or your future with respect to university and your career. You will experience the letting go of all that worry and anxiety and you will definitely guaranteed experience peace of mind to some degree at least. And if you do that a little bit every day and combine that with that wisdom insight that I was talking about earlier on, that that reflects your deeper nature, that reflects your own inner resources, that you can bring peace of mind to these difficult situations in the midst of a pandemic. You can learn to deepen and stabilize that so that when the next challenge comes up and they say, now we're going back to university again, and they say, no, we're not now, we're going to lock it down. And you learn, okay, let me just relax, accept that situation, have a peace of mind again. Now you're starting to see that actually the success in life is not something that you see externally. Nobody ever really sees success. We think we see success. We just see symbols of success. Success is something you experience internally. It's the experience of peace of mind. It's the experience of real, true happiness, not like superficial fleeting, but deep abiding happiness that comes through that kind of training. So for those who are thinking it's impossible... We're not. We're only thinking it's impossible. Going back to Jim's question at the beginning, because we're so familiar with certain thoughts and feelings and identifying with them. If you let go of the thoughts and feelings of anxiety, worry, never feeling good enough, you will actually experience that peace of mind and an absence of all those worrying thoughts and feelings and limiting beliefs. You will experience that absence, but you will also experience that deeper peace within you, the resources everyone needs right now to work with a global pandemic. The world is struggling massively at the moment because we simply aren't doing that. Um, so many people, we all know, don't we? It's, it's anxiety is the main issue at the moment. It's ramping up. There's a lot of talk about it in Ireland. I'm sure it's the same in Madrid. I'm sure it's the same in Italy. Yeah. Again, anxiety is just coming from that worrying. And if you let go of the worrying, there is no anxiety and you can access that peace within you. Now, I'm not saying you're just going to switch, uh, flick a switch in your mind and it'll happen tomorrow. But if you just put in a little bit of time each day, you will definitely guarantee start to reduce the anxious feelings, the worrying thoughts. And then you'll start to feel more at peace within yourself, more resilient, more able to deal with this current situation. So those people who are, are feeling that they, they can't get beyond that, you're only feeling you can't get beyond that because you're so lost in those familiar thoughts of feelings of never feeling good enough, can't really deal with this, I'm overwhelmed. 
if you let go of those, you'll start to see that you have everything within you and you always have had everything within you to deal with this with peace of mind. And to your point as well, Seb. Go on, go on, go on, Adam. To your point as well on the why this podcast, you know, the the kind of initial feelings you guys may have had that like maybe it'd be lovely if it was reaching more people and so forth. You said like if if only three people listened to it then and Jim and I kind Mm. of delivered what we can, um, then that's a good thing. And that's where we need to start. It's not about, if, if a million people live, listen to your podcast and you did that podcast with an erotic, self-centered, self-absorbed mind every time, you wouldn't feel mm. it's a success. You'd feel it's a complete mm. failure. But if you did that with some real genuine empathy for others, some compassion for others, and which is exactly what your podcast is all about, is really connecting with people at a deeper level and actually helping them with the real stuff of their lives, which is what everybody's struggling with right now. If you could feel every time you just turned up to do that with that good heart, that peaceful mind and that good heart, every time it would feel a success. And maybe in time it will become an, an external success. But to you at that point, it would be irrelevant. Yeah. Because yeah, you're enjoying yeah, no. every single one. If it helps no, one definitely... person, that's great. Exactly. No, it has been a journey that Jim and I have been have been on. I know Jim likes to say bobbing and weaving, and we've definitely been doing a lot of that. Yeah, but yeah. just to like just to pick up on something that you said there, because to my sins, and it does feel criminal to admit this on a podcast with yourself, but I don't, I haven't been meditating. Um, but one thing that you what you said there is letting go, and the thing that I found, especially during this whole Corona period, is just to not to focus only on the things that I can control and the fact that there's going to be a lockdown, there may not be a lockdown. We can only see six people. We can see 10 people. We can go out until 11. We can go out until eight, whatever the restrictions are. These are none of those I can control whatsoever. I mean, our governments can't control them, although that is their job. (laughs) So we'll let them stress about it. But I found that when I've let go of things, and this is not just Corona specific, this is just in general, the when I let go of stuff and I just kind of, like you said, accept life, it will throw a curveball eventually. And then there's going to be good times. And that's just how it is. Um, then it's been so much easier to accept things and, and have that peace of mind and to use, you know, some of the boxing metaphors that Jim's love uh, is to roll with the punches, you know, and if you can do that, um, and not try to control these things that ultimately you have no control over. You're trying to tame an indomitable fire. You're always going to end up burnt if you do that, you know? And I found that when that ha- when I've just gone, you know what, it, the situation, it is what it is. It's my, I think it's my favorite saying nowadays. It is what it is. When you kind of accept that truly and truly accept it is what it is, then you can really just let go. And look, if I could, maybe if I did a bit more meditation, maybe I'd be even more zen. But even just that kind of little shift in the mindset has really helped and is what i've tried to tell my sister and and my, my other friends who have who have got more anxiety with the situation yeah when you're when you're doing that seb you're saying you're not meditating i'd say you are but mm. that contemplation it is what it is it's like there's a part of wisdom that's coming from life isn't perfect and you're able yeah. to you're able to say in your heart otherwise you wouldn't feel any peace of mind you're able to say at your heart level it is what it is life isn't yeah. perfect it's not always going to be perfect. And then there's some implicit acceptance in that. For you to be able to say that and genuinely feel it and move beyond it, you are actually accepting the situation. There's some life isn't perfect. I can accept this. And then you can move on with your life. That is meditation. Oh, <laughs> well, I'll take it from you. Is, yeah, meditation <laughs> is, is it's a combination of the formal meditation session. Yeah, that's where you go deeper. You deepen the familiarity so it's more natural, consistent, intuitive. That, that practice you just explained. But also meditation is, is very much about how you approach life and how you approach your day. It's very much about learning to rely upon, take refuge in more peaceful, positive states of mind than negative, overwhelmed, disturbed states. 
And if you can do what you're doing, that in itself is a meditation, a meditation for daily life, right. which is actually, the, as Jim was saying earlier on, is the most important part of a day is what we're doing as we're moving around the world. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think, but also I think a lot of people, they just don't fit to meditate nowadays, mainly because the mind is so busy, distracted, and especially at the moment, intense. They feel like if I turn into that mind, it's only going to intensify. But it does take a bit of courage at the beginning, but it's incredibly liberating at the end. Again, you're not turning into your inherently neurotic mind. You're just turning into those turbulent emotions and feelings and then actually accessing the deeper truth within you. And then that it is what it is comes much more natural, much more intuitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Beautiful. I can't help but think of um, someone like my dad, who I hope is listening, who is doing tremendously well with the different circumstances under the coronavirus, but is also incredibly nostalgic for pre-COVID times to the point where, <laughs> you know, hourly it will be, do you remember how good it was before this? And <laughs> I can't help that he's almost like taken on or, you know, voluntarily going, yeah, I'll take some suffering, please. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, the other thing is, I'm sure you've heard Adam, I'm sure Seb as well, people saying, oh, yeah, uh, you know, in three weeks or, you know, in 12 weeks, w- once we'll be able to do this. Mm. Again, it's like, it, to me, and I, like I find myself doing it and then I kind of like check back and go, this is just, oh, yeah, can I have some... Inflicting yeah, suffering. Yeah. yeah, just inflicting it on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a challenge for people because our our kind of tendency is always to look in the past or the future for what we don't have in the now. So so our mind will often, you know, you'll sit down with friends and they'll say, you know, the old normal before this new normal was so good. <laughs> but was it? Yeah, was it? I mean, our last podcast was before the pandemic, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we were talking it about feels, pretty it much feels the same so long ago now, but yeah, for sure, for sure it was. It, it but weren't was. we talking about the same issues then? <laughs> essentially, yeah, essentially. That people struggle. So what happens is we we're we're constantly rewinding to the past or fast forwarding to the future in some way to resolve the past. So if you've had some like trauma in your past, we keep rewinding back to it to in some way try and resolve it so that we can be at peace in the present. Or fast forwarding to the future in 12 weeks time when it's all over or when the vaccine Mm. comes, things will be so much better. And the reason why we can't stay in the present is simply because we feel if I resolve the past or I go back to a better past, things will be okay by going back there or if I fast forward to this future. But actually what you learn in this kind of training and meditation and daily life, improving that experience through daily life is when I'm fully in the present, like when I'm fully in this moment with a peaceful mind and a good heart, I get everything I need right here and now. And the past is gone. There is no past. You know, what? where is this past? Please show me it that we keep rewinding back to. Yeah. And even actually for in, in, in one aspect as well of healing like past traumas and stuff, one aspect in meditation is you start to realize this past that I keep going back to that I can't seem to let go of that really hurt me, maybe were abused physically or something else. That past really ended the moment it happened completely ended all that's left of it is this memory that i keep drawing back into my mind identifying with feeling stuck in and traumatizing myself when you learn to meditate you actually learn i can let that go i can because it's already gone all that's left is the remnants of my memory of that moment and that's really just the thought and idea that again i'm identifying with feeling stuck in i'm deeply hurt i'm deeply abused and then i get stuck in that so for those people on this podcast thinking 
you know, this is all lovely what you're talking about, this kind of peaceful, happy life. If you knew what I went through, it's the same thing as you're talking about your dad. People are going back to this past and so I resolve something. But the good news is the past ended the moment it happened. And all that happens is we keep going back to it to recall either your dad, maybe, or my mom goes back to, to recall these moments to in some way kind of feel better right now or to go back to resolve that moment to some way be free of that past. You're already free of that past. If you bring your mind fully into the present, living with a peaceful mind and a good heart today, you'll find what you want because you'll be at peace. You'll be happy and you won't need to rewind to the past or fast forward to the future because you're okay right here and now. And again, all those inner resources to be at peace, to be happy in this pandemic are already here and now. They're already the essential nature of our mind. They're already the essential qualities of our heart. We all have within us everything we need to be fully in the present, be at peace, be happy right here and right now. And if you just take Seb's practice of it is what it is in the middle of all of this, You'll access that natural peace within you by just reminding yourself it is what it is. It's okay. It's just another day in an imperfect life. And if you don't have a problem with life, you don't have any problems. Our problem is we have a big problem with life and all its problems. <laughs> That's a beautiful way of putting it. Uh, Adam, before we let you go, I, I want to ask one question. I think I always try to find a silver lining. and Maybe it's my way, my coping mechanisms. Um, but I always try to find a silver lining with any problem. And I think one huge silver lining with this whole pandemic and everything that is all the consequences of it is i think um it's definitely forced people actually if they weren't already to become a lot more aware of mindfulness of mental health of making sure that you you actually take care of it it's not something that you can take for granted um and i was wondering you know you've kind of mentioned there that you did some stuff with ucd and some of the students has that been has that been your experience as, as you've as this is all progressed have you seen a lot more people have been calling out for you probably rather desperately i would imagine um i, I know jim and i have been looking forward to this conversation for a while um is that, has that been your experience yeah i think i mean it is it is the thing at the moment that i think especially um, as we in Ireland were approaching this second kind of major lockdown, like I know you've had a lot in, um, mm. in Madrid there, but here, like yeah. really the, the last major one was at the beginning and now it's like we're on a complete lockdown again. And we have seen, I have seen a lot and experienced a lot of people really seriously struggling with this and reaching out for some solution. One of the challenges at the moment is people are feeling increasingly lost and stuck because Essentially, if you haven't done that kind of training, there really isn't much way to, where to turn. So like a lot of people are drinking very heavily, eating very heavily yeah. in this lockdown, um, simply because they're just trying to get some relief from the tension and the anxiety and the worry about the future. And so we are seeing, yeah, more and more, um, you know, people turning up with that kind of challenge. But I also, I do think a lot of people are a little bit, I find it interesting that there's a massive conversation in Ireland about anxiety levels. And I don't see a massive uh, conversation in the media about meditation and mindfulness like you're saying. That I don't yeah. see it, if I'm really honest. I don't see it as much yeah. as, as we, of course, we hear it because you guys are kind of doing this kind of podcast and you're working in that kind of area. You do hear it. I do hear it. Yeah. I do see it in, in that specific area. But not like nationally, but I know for a fact that if people did start to integrate a little bit of this, a lot of this tension, worry and anxiety they have with this situation would actually begin to reduce, you know, significantly. Um, but I think what often happens is going back to Jim's opening question. If you're very deeply familiar with thoughts and worrying thoughts and anxious feelings and feelings of overwhelm continuously, you see, feel so identified with it 
that when you hit a pandemic, that all intensifies. And what happens mm -hmm. when it intensifies, you grasp at it more, you identify with the thoughts and feelings more. Therefore, you feel, I can't change. Like you feel less like you can change in a pandemic than you do when you're not in a pandemic because you're so in those thoughts and feelings all the time. Like some people are just not sleeping at night and some people are struggling just getting to work. You know, I'm hearing this all the time from friends where people are just, um, you know, basically giving up on work because they're experiencing, you know, real mental and emotional turbulence. So what happens in a pandemic? It intensifies. You identify with it more because it's more intense. And then you feel you can't change. And then when somebody says, why don't you meditate? You're like, are you insane? I mean, I need a <laughs> bottle of whiskey. I don't need to meditate. <laughs> Whereas if we really just relaxed and just thought, okay, so that's where you're at, but you're not fixed. You actually can begin to very slowly, gently integrate a little bit of meditation, like releasing the valve on a radiator when it's boiling up too much. You let some of that steam out. And as you let out a little bit each day, you'll start to feel this clearing, this space, this clarity. And then you can start to look at all those habits that are generating it. So sometimes a pandemic or a situation like this can actually open a door. Like what Jim was saying early on about heartbreak, it can open a door to a whole new way of seeing things. Um, and I do feel that more than ever right now, meditation is kind of met its time. I really do. You know, we're, it's like, let's get beyond the pandemic. You know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about the environmental issues or the political mm -hmm. discourse. You know, our, we're in turbulent times. We need a better new normal. And the new, the better new normal is basically learning how to live with genuine peace of mind, genuine mental and emotional resilience, genuine empathy for others, genuine love, genuine compassion, genuine courage. That's what the new normal needs to become because the old normal was really just a lot of turbulent thoughts, feelings, emotion, a lot of self-centeredness, a lot of anger. You know, not everybody all the time, but you know what I mean. So the new normal yeah. needs to be grounded in those better principles and those better qualities of the heart, you know. If we're to make it through beautiful I, it, it, anyone who's listening who maybe is in ireland or even maybe not i know you said uh, before we started recording that you're now doing um kind of like online sessions and and live streamings and so on where can people find you i mean obviously we'll put the links in the show notes but where can people find you and maybe um connect to some of this lovely uh yeah. you know, what you're offering which we we're lucky enough to have in person in the podcast Sure. I mean, I think we're going to be live streaming uh, certainly through to probably January at the moment. We've been live streaming really since, uh, was it March when we this all started? We went to yeah. live stream and we haven't, normally we would do, you know, uh, classes and workshops around Ireland and various physical venues, but we haven't since March and it's kind of um, live stream since then. So we're basically just drop in on our website, meditateinireland.com. And the live streams are all on there, but we will be back in our new center that I was saying that we're going to be building in uh, Temple Oak Village. We'll be back in that probably end of January, but it'll be, you know, part live stream, part physical. I hope by then we'll see. Hopefully. Yeah, meditateinireland.com. Yeah. And all our social Perfect. media pages are on there. So. Perfect. Well, we'll put that in the show notes and, and this podcast will be released uh, in the new year. So like you say, hopefully, hopefully people can make use of your brand new glittering center. Um, it would definitely be much needed. But um, I just want to really take the time to thank you so much. It's, hasn't disappointed i feel like uh to give you a random thing it's like i feel like we're the lion king and you're rafiki i just feel like every time you talk <laughs> it's just it's just absolute as jim would say it's, it's mad so uh thank you so much it's been unbelievable thank you lovely so much. to be with you both as well yeah lovely thank to be you. with you both thank you
Thank you. We'll, we'll have to go, Jim. Go on. We'll have to link up again soon, Adam. It's, be, it's too good to, to break it. Sure, of course, anytime, anytime, of course. Lovely stuff. Well, there you go. You've heard it here. We'll have Adam on again. But for now, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And if you haven't already listened to the first one that we had all the way back in March, I believe it was, um, please make sure you go back to listen to that. And there was also a bonus meditation in there as well. Um, but until until next time, Adam, all the best. Thanks so much. Thank you. You too. Stay well. Hi, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week. But until then, keep safe and have a good one.